In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammy and Sandy. Lynn Twist and Sarah Vetter are this week's Money Tales guests. Lynn and Sarah call themselves workwives who run the Soul of Money Institute and the Pachamama Alliance. They observe that society perpetuates the myth of scarcity, insisting there's never enough time, money, love, or fulfillment. Lynn and Sarah work each day to challenge that automatic and unconscious assumption. In our conversation, they unpack the implications of living in a society where the economy often takes precedence over ecology. Let me tell you more about Lynn and Sarah. Lynn is the founder of the Soul of Money Institute and author of the best-selling book, The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. And her newest book, Living a Committed Life, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in a Purpose Larger Than Yourself. Lynn is a recognized global visionary and has served as an advisor to the Desmond Tutu Foundation and to the Nobel Women's Initiative. Sarah is the Business Development Director of the Soul of Money Institute and is a coach, consultant, workshop leader, keynote speaker, and strategist. She is also the major gift fundraiser for the Pachamama Alliance. Additionally, Sarah has played a leadership role with the Nobel Women's Initiative, where she has co-led delegations to India, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Liberia. Here are three key money topics Lynn and Sarah hit on in this conversation. First, how the most generous people and the happiest people they've encountered tend not to be the ones with or pursuing the most money. Second, how they challenge people to think about being known for what they allocate rather than what they accumulate. And third, their belief that since you were born and are alive right now, this was not an accident. We're living in an epic time in history Each of us has a role to play or you wouldn't be here. So know and live your purpose. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now onto our conversation with Lynn Twist and Sarah Vetter. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cammie Doder. And I'm Sandy Brager. Cami, for the last several years, I've been involved with the Purposeful Planning Institute and planning their annual gathering, which is called Rendezvous. As we're looking ahead to this 2024 gathering, we've been reflecting on 2023, and there's a piece of it that I haven't had a chance to share with you or listeners, so I wanted to bring that up. Oh, I'd love to hear. PPI. One of the things we were acknowledging as a planning group was that in conversations with the families we serve, 
there's been a lot of hard conversations bubbling up about wealth inequality or access to different financial resources. So at Rendezvous 2023, we wanted to offer an opportunity for the community to come together and talk about that topic. And we introduced a modality for these conversations called a Samoan circle. Have you heard of a Samoan circle before? No, I have not. What is it? I hadn't either. It's a process that different groups have used in peace and reconciliation conversations. Essentially, what we did is we set up an inner circle with an outer circle in different conference rooms. And we invited folks who wanted to share a personal story about their experience with this topic, having access to different financial resources, to share their stories one at a time. The folks sitting in the outer circle and even the others in the inner circle just listened. That was the role. We were just listening. And I say just listening. Listening can be really hard. There's some really moving stories that are told, but we held safe space for the speakers and everyone who participated was delighted. People felt comfortable sharing their stories. People heard those stories. And after these circles completed, we left opportunity to talk about the modality and how it worked but not talk about the stories that were shared. Those were sacred stories that were shared in that moment for us all to hear and experience and never really talk about again. That's amazing because I found myself even just as you were talking, wanting to jump in and ask questions. It's hard to listen. It's really hard. I think this is a great modality to use with families. I haven't done it with any families I work with yet, but it's on the docket for when the opportunity arises. It was a really great facilitation of conversation and money conversations in a different way than we usually have them here. I can't wait to ask our guests if they have experience here. And what a treat. We get to welcome two guests today to the Money Tells podcast, Lynn Twist and Sarah Vetter. It's a treat of ours to welcome you on to Money Tales. Thank you for inviting us. Delighted to be here. Thank you. Very excited. Would you both introduce yourself? Lynn, why don't we start with you? And in doing so, share a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really impacted who you are today. So I'm Lynn Twist. I'm the founder of the Soul of Money Institute and the author of a book called The Soul of Money. Also the author of a book called Living a Committed Life, a more recent book. And I'm also the co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance. I work in the realm of transformation and generating possibility and transforming our relationship with money and life. And also Sarah and I are partners. We're joined at the hip. We do all of our courses and traveling and everything together. We have a lot of courses for women and we have a lot of courses for fundraisers and people, wealth managers and people who are dealing with money issues. And it's a joy and honor to be here and pivotal times in my life. I'll just make it as simple as I can. When I discovered that I could make a difference with my life, I was in a setting with Buckminster Fuller, the great humanist, amazing human being in the 70s last century, that a little individual could make a difference that would impact all humanity. And that was the origin of me committing my life to ending world hunger and the Hunger Project, where I worked for 20 years. And then I had an encounter with indigenous people in Guatemala, a shaman in a very 
sacred ceremony without medicine, but everything else but medicine, the setting, the stars, the fire, his voice, the drum, where I had a transformational experience that led me to the Amazon rainforest to co-found the Pachamama Alliance. And that became the next 25, 30 years of my life, that work in the Amazon rainforest to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, and socially just human presence on this planet. Wow, then that's amazing. Thank you for that. Sarah, would you introduce yourself? I'm Sarah Vetter. I am basically Lynn's work wife. I run the Solo Money Institute with Lynn, doing all the things that she mentioned, and also am on the team at Pachamama Alliance. So I do both things. I do work for Solo Money Institute, Pachamama Alliance. I bring people on journeys in the Amazon with Lynn. I fundraise. So I'm always in the world and conversation around money and all the work we do with women, with women and men, online, in-person retreat. We're all about sufficiency and looking at scarcity. My pivotal moment is a little different in that it was when my life blew up (laughs) in my early 40s. And I was living the monetary dream of a lot of excess wealth. Uh, Everything crashed. My marriage crashed. My health crashed. And I got into a super dark place and crawled out of that. And in the crawling out of a very dark place for me, I discovered there's an inner and outer world. It just took me many more decades than most people. And in that discovery, I met Lynn. In that discovery, I went to the Amazon because it was offered to me, not really like with a purpose. And in that encounter, I really thought, wow, this is my calling, Pachamama Alliance, and also the work of Lynn and the Solomon Institute. I'm like a poster child for a really screwed up relationship with money. So I got to dig into this and see how to make it work in my life. And it just got me out of the dark. It was my early 40s. That's a huge pivotal moment in my life. I love what you're saying, Sarah, about going from darkness to lightness. And I'm wondering if you two could say more about how you got together, how you became work wives, and how you started talking about money with each other. Well, Sarah invited me to an event when she was looking for salvation. (laughs) She got involved with a wonderful Indian guru named Sadhguru and became one of the people who was arranging things for him in the Bay Area and invited me to an event. And then I invited her to an event. And I kind of spotted her at the event I invited her to. It was a fundraiser. When she walked in, I remember thinking, I'm going to work with that person. She's very impressive. A vibration comes with Sarah. She's happy. She's beautiful. She's turned on. She's alive. And it was just obvious to me, I'm going to work with that person. At the end of this event, which was the Pachamama Alliance event, I invited her to go to the Amazon with me. And she said, yes, the Amazon trips we do are so transformational for us and for the people we bring that you come out of it really transformed. You have a whole nother set of dimensions of what life is really about. Working with indigenous people, they see the world so much broader than we do. Their spirit world is just huge and very real for them, not something that they're imagining or conjuring up, very real, more real than the material world. When you immerse yourself in that and really see the deep soul of the natural world, you could say it changes you, but actually it reminds you of who you are. It takes you deeper. It takes you a place that you kind of already know. 
And that happened for Sarah. Of course, it happened for me. That's what I share when I take people there. And then, I don't know, we were like for each other. It was like falling in love with somebody that I'd known all my life, except I was just meeting for the first time. That's amazing. Sarah, do you want to say anything else? I think for me, I went on that journey. And honestly, I went on because I thought it was cool. And it would be really good cocktail story going back to my really screwed up situation in Atherton, California. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. I went in not knowing anything, kind of blank slate. So yeah, I came out of that. And Lynn's like, what are you doing in your life? I'm like, I have no idea. But I really liked her. And I thought she was cool. And I loved what she was all about. And I thought, hmm, let's dig into this. And I had such a profound experience in the Amazon that it really shook me up. Like, what am I doing with all these resources that I have and all the resources I have access to? I mean, phenomenal resources. What am I doing? I'm wasting it. I'm so moved by this journey. Why not put my money where my mouth is or use my resources and use my history and use my upbringing to have access to people that can really maybe make a difference. So I'm like, this is like a good match. That's really how it started. I had no idea what I was doing. I followed her around. I got people of resources to listen to the message of Patron Alliance and talk about their relationship with money. It started very organically and with me having no idea what I was doing. It was like it was meant to be. We can feel this vibration. (laughs) You talk a lot about this domestic role money has and also the lie of scarcity. Would you share how you think of money's role domestically in particular and how we've lied about scarcity? Well, we live in a culture that believes very deeply and inaccurately that there's not enough that there's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's not enough love, there's not enough sex, there's not enough of anything. But it's not a valid assessment. It's an automatic unconscious assumption, an unconscious, unexamined assumption. It's almost like a lens we look through to see the world. I didn't get enough sleep. I don't have enough love. You didn't say enough good things to me. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not young enough. It's not enough, there's not enough, I'm not enough. It's the siren song of a consumer culture. And we're so consumerized now, we're so commercialized, we live so deeply in a money culture. It's almost as if the economy is God. And then the ecology is just a little sliver of it. That's where we go to get stuff, rather than the economy is a subset of the ecology. So we have really, really got it all upside down and backwards. And so we live in a mindset of scarcity. You've got to get more of everything and anything because there's not enough for everybody and somebody's going to be left out and you got to be sure it's not you or yours, whoever you consider yours to be. And that right there divides us. There's not enough for everybody and somebody somewhere is going to be left out. That inaccurate view, unconscious, unexamined assumption creates an us and as them. And then the us is who you've got to get more for and you design your life to get more for the us, you know, your family, your tribe, your company. Even if it's at those people's expense, you'll help them someday, but you have to have way more than you need because there's not enough to go around. That belief system is so embedded in the way we think that people don't even understand the water they're swimming in, particularly affluent people I'm saying now. 
So there's real places where there's not enough water and not enough food, not enough jobs. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the unconscious, unexamined assumption that runs the life of most people, maybe most of the people who are listening to this podcast. And so we debunk the life scarcity. It has three toxic myths. The first is there's not enough. The second is more is better and more of anything and everything is better. It's like an obsession, more shoes, more blue jeans, more cars, more market share, more this, more that. There's not enough, more is better is number two. And number three is that's just the way that it is. And that's just the way that it is. Sounds like it's a different kind of assumption, but it's the assumption that has us just assume there's nothing I can do about this. I just need to go with it. So we don't even question it. The unquestioned answer to everything is more money. There's so many studies that say after a certain point, and it's not that much, like $75,000 a year, even $100,000 a year. After that, more money does not make them happier. In fact, it makes them more and more greedy, more and more miserable, more and more competitive, more and more envious. And then it gets worse and worse and worse. So we work with the lie of scarcity and call it a lie. We call it a condition of thinking. We debunk it. We try to have people step away from it long enough to see that behind that mythology or pathology is the little known and little understood state of being called enough, sufficient, exactly the way you are, fulfilled, exactly the way you are. From there, you contribute. From there, you generate. From there, you become generous in the way you live. So that's a kind of a little mini statement of what we teach. Thank you for that, Lynn. As you were talking, Sarah, it made me wonder about that period of time <laughs> long ago when you were in that deep, dark place and you were coming out. Can you tell us about your own transformation and what that was like in the context of what Lynn was just sharing about your important work together? The unconscious, unexamined mindset is where I lived for four decades, really, up until my 40s. My family history on money was all about how you looked, image, external beauty, external things, how everything looked, and then a lot of secrecy around it. And, you know, I grew up in moderate wealth. I didn't really realize till I was older, oh, I think we were somewhat wealthy. But there was so much behind that upbringing. And then I married someone with a great deal of new money. So, and then I was in Silicon Valley. So I lived in this unconscious, unexamined place and it was never enough. And the more money we had, I remember a banker saying, you've got more money than you'll ever need kind of thing, which isn't the case now. But I remember thinking, I felt more and more every day woke up, it's going to end. I'm going to sabotage this. I'm not enough for this. I had to be prettier. I had to have more friends. I had to get in more clubs. I lived this vicious cycle how it transformed me in my life was doing this work, was also being a fundraiser for Pachamama Alliance, and then having deep relationships with people of wealth and seeing how stuck they were and seeing that the most generous people weren't a lot of times the one with the most money. And also reflecting back like, oh my gosh, the more money my cohort community had, the more depressed they were, the more they numbed out with alcohol, which I did that too for a period of time. The more they 
needed more to feel good about themselves. And I just, through doing this work, realized, wow, wait a minute, that's so not the answer because I had everything. I had everything anyone could possibly want from the outside looking in, in the society that I was in. And I was depressed and down and numbing out. And my transformation was that kerplunk of, oh, wow, wait a minute. It's not about the dollar signs. It's really about your relationship with your resources. Your relationship does not matter the amount. And again, not people you know, in poverty. And that was just the huge aha. And I still get trapped in it. I badly want this new pair of shoes that are really expensive. And I really want them. It's not like I'm free of it or I run into my old friends and I see how elaborate their lifestyles are. And I sometimes I do miss it, to be totally honest. But I am a completely different person. I've been completely transformed in my relationship with money through this work, both the Pachamama Alliance and Solo Money. It's so honest, too, Sarah. I really appreciate you saying it's not like, oh, it's over. I've put that off. So I'm curious how you both recommend people get unstuck, have changed their mindset around money, who might not be able to have some like a transformational trip to the Amazon or do something, but kind of need to chip away at it. How would you recommend someone even start? I'll just start by saying they should read the book, The Soul of Money. It's very helpful. People tell us that all the time. A great book. Absolutely. They can listen to it online because we really get into it and we share stories Sarah's story is not in that book. It's in the Living a Committed Life book, which also talks about money. It's not as focused on it, but it is a message that can free them. I mean, it's an extended message of what we're saying right now with stories about people in different circumstances that got freed from the money grip. That's one step that people can take. Another is to commit to realizing that the source of true prosperity is collaboration and generosity. It's not more. And prosperity, the word prosperity is what we really want. We want to prosper. (laughs) We don't want to be swimming in money like Ebenezer Scrooge. This is a time when generosity and collaboration is really being called for. Here we are in the climate crisis, the political crisis, the health crisis, the education crisis, the economic crisis, you name it, and we're in the crises. How can we partner with people to address some of this stuff in a way that we find in our own hearts the generosity of our time and our money and our talent and treasure and give it? That's a big shift for a lot of people because they're acquiring and accumulating. But thinking about being known for what you allocate rather than what you accumulate. Being a person who's known for what he or she allocates to the world, gives the world, rather than what you accumulate and take from the world. Taking a stand for that and living that way, like for a day, that everything's about making a difference rather than taking. Everything's about contributing, appreciating, being grateful, sharing, making other people feel good about themselves, seeing them, deepening their sense of self for a whole day. And then at the end of the day, you've look at how you feel and you will feel way different about who you are. It's a practice. And the more you practice it, practice makes perfect, the more you realize this is really the truth about life. Life is given to us. Life is a gift. It's given to us so we can give our talent, our treasure, our love 
to the world or to the people around us. It's like reversing the whole mindset of the greed and the accumulation and the taking. I'll just use this little metaphor from Brother David Stendhal Rost, a great Buddhist and Benedictine teacher. He says, the hand that gives is the posture of the open hand, and the hand that receives is the posture of the open hand. It's when the fingers start to curl. So as you're listening, imagine, put your hand out and have it flat facing the sky, and the other hand out, the left hand out facing the sky flat and open, and then start to curl your fingers. And when those fingers start to curl and grasp, actually that's the beginning of the formation of the fist. That's the beginning of conflict, of grasping, of attachment, of holding on, of forgetting who you are. Those are some ideas for people. Those are great ideas. And I'm curious for each of you, as you have this new transformed outlook on life and the importance of life and the purpose of each of your lives and a very different relationship with money, how do you think about money today for yourselves? Well, we have a small business. We want it to be productive and effective and make a difference. We think about how can we have a business model we're in this conversation right now that takes less of our time and energy and produces more financial reward. So we do think about money, but we do it in service of the mission of our small company. Rather, the mission is not profit, make as much money as you can, as fast as you can. No, the mission is to make a difference in the lives of people and, and see who they are and mirror back to them, their deepest soulful self so that they are freed up from the money grip to make a contribution with their life. And if they're a woman, to realize they're living in the Sophia century and there's a call for divine feminine wisdom. And so in service of that, how can we have a business model that doesn't take our 24-7 time, but does produce financial resources for our business and our partners and the people that work with us and also for ourselves? We do look at that, but we look at it in a way that's hopefully not greedy, hopefully not exploitive, hopefully balanced enough that we're smart and we do something useful, but we're not going for the kill. We're going for the life we want. I'm a little more, ah, yeah, let's go for it. I mean, Lynn's like that, but I really drive it. I'm a driver. It's what turns me on It what makes me roll. And But I'm driving for something that I'm committed to and have purpose. I would answer your earlier question, this whole transformation thing in Lynn's book, Living a Committed Life, it's just kind of wild how it works. Once you've really found what's yours to do, what is really your dharma? What's your purpose? What gives you light and hope that's not financial? When you tap into that, the whole thing about money shifts. Then it's not you starring you. Lynn talks about this. It's not all about you. It moves your ego out of the way. That's what happened to me. That's what I see happen to so many women we work with. That to me is a really big transformation thing that happens when you really dig into that. Just see what is your role. Even if it's in your family, it doesn't mean you have to go save the Amazon like we're trying to do or change everybody's mindset around money. It's whatever your thing is. That's the thing. And then, yeah, I think about money. I've got a tax situation. I'm like, ah, I, I messed up. I didn't send in the right thing and I have a different accountant and I'm all stressed about it. And I'm like, oh, what would Lynn think? Is that right? <laughs> it's on my mind this week. 
ah, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I can do this. It'll all be fine. I'm not going to get those shoes. <laughs> I have to do a little number on myself to get back to, wait, what's my purpose here? And I'm angst about it. Money is money. Money gets in us, in our soul. It gets in there to turn around and to rethink your way of holding money. So that happens to me. It happens to Lynn. I think the key is purpose. Purpose is such an important question. I was listening to a podcast recently where they talked about the importance, what's your why? The second question, defining your purpose, what are you willing to die for? And I thought, whoa, that's intense, but it's such a great question, whether it's the family, your country, what you stand for. But I loved that way of getting to your purpose in such a provocative question. I am curious how you guys would answer that question about finding purpose, because it's something we talk to our clients about all the time, but we do it through asking for their stories to help define purpose, because it's rare. You guys might be an exception, but in our lives, it's rare for people to be so focused on what their purpose in life is. How do you take your clients through the process of identifying what their purpose is? Lynn's going to answer this, but I just want to say this is her superpower sweet spot of seeing people in a way that pulls out their purpose and meaning in life and commitment. The context of this when we're working with people is if you're born and alive now, it's not an accident. This is an epic time in history. You have a role to play or you wouldn't be here. I can't prove that, but that's the starting point. And there's multiple, multiple things to address. And we all know that. So you have a role to play and it's a key role. And it's not big, a big role or small role. It's your role. And if you play it, your life will be fulfilled. And finding it is what people ask, well, how do I find that? That's what you're asking. We don't have a formula one, two, three, four, five. There's some pathways to engage with. So one is having this belief, or at least assuming it for the moment, that if you're on this planet at this special time, you have a role to play or you wouldn't be here. Secondly, we ask people to look and see what breaks your heart. What breaks your heart when you think about it? It's like, oh, in the world. A lot of stuff breaks your heart probably, but there's something that's really primary. What breaks your heart on one hand? And then on the other hand, what makes your heart sing? What makes your heart sing? So let me give you an example, because those two things often are related to each other and might give you some clues to why you're here. So for example, what breaks my heart is when people are all tied up in their own little life, all their petty grievances, all the things they're upset about, whether they look good or don't look good, or whether they're accepted or whether they should or shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And they're so tied up in that, that they're miserable, they're in depression, they get addicted, they're in despair, etc. It breaks my heart when I encounter that. What makes my heart sing is working with people to help them find their dharma, why they're here, what their life is about. So you can see these two things are connected. Or what breaks my heart is people who have no love in their life. No one's ever loved them. No one's standing for them. No one sees who they really are. They feel lonely and completely dismissed by life. And one thing that makes my heart sing is mirroring back to people their greatness, their beauty, their depth, 
their commitment, their soul in a way that they can express their fullness. That's an example of using those two questions to kind of find your dharma. And then another step or another pathway is to look at your life. There's usually a through line that maybe you've never noticed before. The way you were on the playground, we often use as a metaphor or an example, when you were second and third grade during recess, did you always want to include the little girl who was left out in your playtime? If you saw a bully beating up on somebody, do you always want to get in there and free that person and bring some justice to that situation? You know, if you were always going for the person who left out, then you're somebody who has a mission or a stand or why that you want to make sure everybody feels like they belong, that you want to create communities where people feel seen and included and welcome. Maybe you should be in hospitality. It'll give you some clues. Or if you were the person on the playground who always broke up the bullies, you want justice for people. Your clues, not just then, but then all the way through your life, the jobs you've had, also your heroes and heroines. Growing up, did you love Jane Goodall? Was it Oprah, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Susan B. Anthony? People are no longer here. Who are your heroes and heroes? That gives you a little clue. Always it's something that you could never take credit for, and that's key. Not something like you can say, I did it. No, something that fulfills you and you don't have to take credit for it because what you receive from it is so great. You don't have to be seen to be the person who did X, Y, or Z. You are the beneficiary of it. You don't even think about the credit. So these are some tips, not a formula really, but then we work with people to create what we call a clearing or a context for them to actually start to discover what makes their heart sing, what breaks their heart, what's their natural dharma, where they're drawn, what they've always been drawn to. Every job they've had had a through line in it and their heroes and heroines. So these are some of the clues. Those are really great tips. And something I'm going to even think about for myself. I love the heart singing part, especially. We're curious, what is your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? Well, it's going to be about my taxes. <laughs> and it's going face. to be with my new accountant who had questions that intimidated me. My challenging money conversation or my money conversation is to just be transparent, which I have to say, help. I need help understanding these questions and to just receive that and to know that I'm going to be okay. So that's going to be a challenging <laughs> I'm getting kind of palm sweaty even thinking about it, but it's going to happen. I'm talking to him tomorrow. So that's my next real life, personal money conversation that's going to happen tomorrow. This sort of confronting question. Oh my God, look at I'm sweating. It's like, see the shine on my face. <laughs> it's like, oh. oh. You will be okay, Sarah. You're right. <laughs> you know, I'll talk to Lynn Twist. Breathe through it. Lynn may know something. I'll talk to my work wife. Maybe I'll make her get on the call. <laughs> We're fundraising all the time. So our money conversations are constant to invite people to make contributions to the Pachamama Alliance in particular. We do that every single day. Every single day, we give people the opportunity to contribute to ending the climate crisis, to working with us to preserve the Amazon rainforest. So in my personal life, I'm going to have a conversation with my daughter, who's a grown woman with two children. 
and who is um, has been through a, a big life transformation herself. And we've been supportive of her transformation and financially supportive of her transformation. And we need now to have the next conversation. What's the next chapter of our support for her and her children that will give her more freedom and independence to know that she can do it? She's okay now. She had a, a hard time and she lost her way a little bit. And so we helped her very much. And now she's back on her feet and she's doing great. She's the householder. She's head of the family. Her dad of her kids is involved, but he's not a provider. She's the provider. She's the single mom. She makes it all happen to really stand with her and for her, for her own financial health and well-being. These are such important money conversations. Thank you for sharing the personal and the professional. I think of the gifts you're offering your people and to give. I think that's great. And then in your own personal lives. And Sarah, you keep asking questions because <laughs> that's one of the things on Money Tales. That's what we're encouraging people to do. Ask questions because if someone can't answer it, it's not a fault of yours. It's often the fault of the other person. So good for you. One quick thing on that. It took me literally like three days to even get the courage up to ask my sister the question that I was going to ask the accountant. That's how wrapped up we get around this stuff. I can fundraise to the cows come home. But then personally, boy, there's a whole other level that <laughs> is out there. And I'm going to talk to my kids this weekend too. Thanks, Lynn, for that. <laughs> <laughs> really great conversations. Would you share with our listeners, where's the best place for them to find you? Soulofmoney.org. And everything's there. The courses, the talks, the coaching opportunities. We're starting a course for women called the Sophia Circle. And then the Pachamama Alliance is pachamama.org. Those two, soul of money, S-O-U-L-O-F-M-O-N-E-Y.org and pachamama.org, P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A.org. And those two places are where everything we're doing lives and is available and sign up for everything and do everything. They're amazing resources. We'll make sure that goes in the show notes as well. Lynn Twist, Sarah Vetter, thank you very much for sharing so much with us on the Money Tales podcast. It was a joy and a delight. Thank you for inviting us. It was fun. Thank you. And I'm super excited to talk to my accountant tomorrow because of this conversation. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening. And leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.